This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. Hi. I'm here at the uh, Jonas's house. Some of you might remember last year, Debbie Jonas agreed to talk with me, and it was a great show. Debbie got some of our best reviews. Everybody just loved it. They said it was great. Even people who usually hate the show said, you finally got a good show. So uh, I said, I got to do it again. I told you at the Hasna that you made in the summer that I'd see you, uh, hopefully during this time, but none of us dreamed that we'd be seeing each other under these type of circumstances. So as moving and interesting as your life has been and the decisions we talked about last year. Can we talk a little bit about what it's like as sort of, you're not an expatriate, you're not really an emigrant, but you are an American who loves Eretz Yisrael is living here. So talk a little bit about your relations about this time. And by the way, I just want to say before Debbie answers, there are five families who are also staying here at the Jonas house from Ashkelon and Etivot. Some of them, they didn't know each other from before. There are a couple of sisters and other relatives, but you don't get the sense here of any sort of tension. They seem to be having a great time. So let's talk a little bit about your feelings as an American woman living here in Eretz Yisrael. First of all, I feel sorry for any anybody who's stuck in America. We feel pretty helpless here, but you must feel even more helpless there. Today I read in the paper that there was a ship leaving from Haifa for Americans who wanted to get out of the country because flights are very limited. So you could get on a boat from Haifa, go to Cyprus, and then from Cyprus, you could get a flight back to the United States. Yeah, I just want to interrupt you. I was supposed to be on that ship. I got, yeah. a, I got a notice from the State Department that says, you have to be there. It's like a military notice. You have to be there at 0900 hours. And be ready. We don't know where you're going to land exactly, but be ready. Yeah, I decided decided to come to your house instead. Go away. (laughs) A great decision. (laughs) Anyway, I I really can't imagine being anywhere else right now, except in Israel, where at least you're experiencing this national tragedy in real time. Yeah. You know, know, obviously, there's clearly many, many things that our listeners in America can do that you'd probably advise them to be doing. I have to tell you, when it, you know, there's, there's so many funds that have been set up uh, to send things that the soldiers definitely need. The surprise attack caught a country that was clearly unready to march in. I was told by a 50 year old commander this morning that if there is a ceasefire, it's not really for them as much as it is for us because we're not ready. He told me that, you know, we love all the boys that are going, but they need discipline and they need direction, but they also need as I've heard this morning also from Rabbi Pfeffer, who told me that there needs to be an organized plan of what to send these boys. Yeah, I, I get WhatsApps and emails and text messages day and night from people raising money. And it's really hard to know what's legitimate, what's not legitimate, what's, I don't want to say that anything is illegitimate, but that people are rushing in the moment to do things that, you know, maybe with, the benefit of a few more days, they would think this is not the best use of money. So, for example, I have a, a friend, somebody that I that I really love very much, who has seven grandchildren in the army, and she called me last week and she says 
She told me that they need ceramic vests and helmets immediately. And because it came from her, because it came from the grandmother of this, of these boys, I, I couldn't even, it couldn't even, didn't even cross my mind to say no. Then I got another friend who told me that her son is up in the north and it started to rain. You know, the weather is changing here. The seasons are changing and their sleeping bags got ruined and they need tents. So that was something that, again, I felt this is coming from somebody that I know who her kids, it's her grand, you know. But in general, my advice is to be cautious and skeptical. To be careful, even of scams. To be careful. And and the truth is, Israel needs money today, but Israel's going to need money next week and in two weeks and in three weeks and in a month. You know, it's not like I, I know that when I went to give blood last week, they had run out of the forms that you need to fill out, you know, the medical forms. And there was a four hour line and they told us that there was no possible way that we were going to be able to give blood that day and we should come back the next day. And I thought to myself, every blood donation site in Israel was inundated with thousands of people, you know, begging to give blood, but they'll need my blood in two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. So, you know, I feel the same way about donations of money as I feel about donations of blood. Wait, wait until the next wave comes. We know what a ground war is. We know what right. urban fighting is. Right. Part of the reason why we cry, the person I cry for every soldier I see, because he isn't just pressing a button and getting into or getting into an airplane. We're talking about boots on the ground. Right. You know, but it's important to give something. I mean, it's important we all be unified. You know, there's some people maybe won't give any other time. So That's it's true. important that they, you know. So, Howard, you're saying that we should press them when the emotions are strong. I'm saying that you want to participate in this communal joining together in every way, even with money. You know, even if, you know, you're a regular giver and you're going to like hold your powder till later on. But like I said, there's a lot of people who maybe give nothing and, you know, want to give now. And there are a lot of people who boards of Harvard and Penn and so forth and never said anything until now. You know, and now they're standing up and saying these places don't stop condemning Israel like they're quitting. So, you know, in this moment of high emotion, we should push it. So you're saying something different than Debbie. Debbie's talking about Debbie, Debbie's, talking, Debbie's talking to people who are regular givers who give all the time and she's telling them to be prudent. And I'm saying people who've never participated, they should participate and that because these people are participating, we should participate too to some extent because it's, you know, it's a communal some, thing. Right. So, in other words, there's some, I don't know if we would call them you know, sort of liberal intellectual Jews who happen to uh, be of means who up until this point have not been supportive. They should perhaps realize now is the time. But maybe also, I'm just thinking, part of what we know, wars are now one or lost. We have a fellow here who, is, who told me this a couple of minutes ago off pod that wars are won and lost in different ways than they were 50 years ago. Maybe social media, is that something that we can maybe uh, stir the pot and, 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 and somehow you know, direct? What do you guys think? Do you think it's going to make a difference if we can get more messages, more positive messages, um, more people speaking out who haven't been Israel supporters up until this time, you know, telling the world of how 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 terrible what occurred happened and how just our cause is? Or do you think it's going to... I think everybody should talk to all their friends and all their Gentile friends and tell them every day what they think because 
it resonates. You know, I mean, it's, it's like we've been quiet up until now, and I don't particularly care for social media, but the more people talk to each other, whether it's online or in person or on the phone, and the more people relate, you know, to what's happening and to us, and this is the time to change the, the way the other side has had the microphone until now. I did see there was a big letter from many, many Hollywood uh, producers, actors, actresses, people who usually don't see speaking up for Israel, speaking up. Again, I think the cynic is going to say, look, look at all those names. They're all Jews. The Jews own Hollywood anyway, so it's probably not so surprising. But still, there are some people in the middle that when they see this might might realize this cause is just and how important it is. But let, let me throw you two curveballs. What about if there are Israelis? Now, you've got five Israeli families here that are here, not necessarily because they've been told to evacuate, but because they're scared, because they don't want to be in a war zone. How about families that want to leave? For example, many, we know there's many families who have American citizenship, who live in Israel. They keep on renewing their visas. Let's say they want to go away. Should families in America say, hey, we're ready to take you if you're really scared of being there in Israel during this time? I don't, fault, do you think? I don't fault anybody who wants to run away from something that they consider to be dangerous to their family. It takes a certain uh, level of insanity to want to stay in a place where you might be bombed. Yeah, where you feel like you could be bombed or shot or who knows what. I, I don't fault anybody. I don't judge anybody. Whoever got on that boat this morning, I wish them safe passage. We're near the ocean, not too far from the ocean. And there must be an Air Force base not too far from here because all day and all night I, I hear planes overhead. We don't get sirens here. We haven't had to go into the bomb shelter yet, thank God. But I'm very aware that there's a lot of activity, especially at night, you know, like two, three in the morning, planes are whizzing overhead, back and forth, back and forth. And it's nerve wracking. And I understand why people want to get away from it. But I, you know, every time I hear that horrible noise, I'm like, just get there safely, do what you need to do and come home safely and well, I'll tell you, I was just, personally, I was in um, Ramat Bechemish for Shabbos, and you know, I was with my, my grandchildren there, and every plane that flew over, they were out there looking at it, and we told them, those are the good guys, yeah. there are people, they're going, and, and as my daughter once said, by the way, you can't see the planes. You can hear them. You though. can hear them. You cannot see them. I don't so know high. what their magic is. I'm sure it's, you know, very calculated to be that way that you can't see them coming. You hear them, but you can't see a thing. I scour the skies and I can't, not day, not, nor at night can you ever see them. I don't, I don't think it's something at the top of your scale of priorities. It's psychologically healthy to leave it when there's trouble. Like it just, so, now, but, so you're saying if you think there's a family that needs to go, they should be counseled to stay? I, no, I, listen, I, I think that they will feel worse about going later on. I mean, I think, you know, somebody's shooting up the neighborhood. Like, you know, you don't want to say neighborhood that's being shot up. But if, like, it's your mother's house that's being shot up, like, you don't run out of the neighborhood. It's your parent's house. You know, it's your house. It's our house. You know, not going to feel good about it. Afterwards. A- afterwards. And... The strong odds on Obama's going to fall on you anyway. So, you know, I, I, I um, So in other words, for Americans to say, if anybody wants to leave Israel, you can come to our house. You think that might be counter, no. counterproductive. 
Every Jew's house should always be open to other Jews who have a problem and feel that they need to go someplace. But I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that we need to run an exodus. Like, you, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a rescue operation. We were supposed to go back to New York for a week starting uh, November 5th. The war is still going on. There's no possible way that I'm leaving. Oh, there's a plane overhead. Right. Hey guys. Hear it. Yes, we can hear yeah. it. I don't know if it's going to be. You can't up. see it, but you can hear it. <laughs> You know, it's interesting that I didn't see the psak inside from the Rabbanut, but I think the Rabbanut said that if anybody wants to come back, they can come on Shabbos. Any soldier right. or anyone who wants to come back, they can come back on Shabbos, even though a flight could be available, you know, 12 or 15 hours later. And again, part of it has to do with morale. Part of that psak has to do with, you know, there might not be a maloch involved. Part of it is the fact that there's pikuach nefesh. It's sort of a, a combination, but it's sort of like the opposite of what we've been talking about. I mean, I see a lot more people running toward Israel than I see people running away from it. I see, you know, flights full of soldiers. I've gotten numerous videos of planes literally with nothing but, you know, Milu and Nick, Nikim coming back to Israel. Even with all the, you know, the craziness here and all the threats that the reservists weren't going to show up and the, politics and judicial reform and all of that, you know, stuff that seems like such distant history. And there's nothing for people to, you know, there's nothing for regular people like us to do, like not much. So it's like, but if like people are needed, then I think the flights will be filled with all kinds of people. Just, you know. So here's the second curve. What about people who were on the fence about making Aliyah up until now? I don't know if they're going to be able to find any place to stay when they get here. But do you think now is the time for people who were on the fence about Aliyah, now is the time to come? Or they should logically, you would say, hey, let's wait till this war is over before you come. Or maybe, we're not talking about expatriate, we're not talking about exes, right, we're talking about right. Americans who may want to make Aliyah now. We're not going to find a real estate agent this week. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be a surge in Aliyah after the war. I mean, during the war, you know. I mean, if you want an experience, but like, obviously it's going to be hard to get a moving truck. Everybody's in the army. Like, right. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Right. That's, that's a big problem getting a truck. Like, there's, there's plenty of food in Israel, but getting it delivered to the supermarkets is a problem because all the people that drive the delivery trucks are now driving tanks and, no, and I, no, jeeps. No, 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 I did hear there was going to be a, a, some, some vegetables are going to be problematic. I just, one of our interviews that we had on the platform was from the car Maimon. Which is one of the key moshavot moshavim that produces cherry tomatoes. Yeah, they were here for Shabbat. So many of them are staying with me at the Plaza Hotel, and you know, there's nobody there to work the stuff. There's yeah. nobody to pick the stuff. There's nobody to bring it. I, th- uh-huh. I, I had a dream. I, went, I took a nap on 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 Shabbos afternoon. And it was, it's very hot here. I mean, Kasaria has its ocean. But, you know, Ramat Beit Shemesh and, and basically all your... But it's starting to change. The weather's yeah, starting to yeah. change. But it was quite hot on Shabbos. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I think my son had the, the orchestra on the timer, so I was going <laughs> a little bit of nap. And I had a dream. And it was a weird dream. But in the dream, I had a dream of a war experience, like there was like a war happening. And next to the, you know, the sort of the green copies of the Israelis, there were other troops there, American troops. And that probably was in my head. Look, you guys are not political experts, but do you see this conflict widening and America really, you know, coming in? We could talk from now till Thursday night and we won't change the difference. But this party, you say now, let's see America come. I mean, 
Look, we both remember the Vietnam War. We remember how troops were sent. Charlie Company came down because there was the, the ship in Tonkin Bay or something got, got, got torpedoed. And all of a sudden there was troops coming all the way all across the world to Vietnam uh, and landing there to stop communism. Is it just a dream that I had after the Trollant that hmm. American troops are, might might be on the ground? I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I think that was a dream. But, you know, <laughs> but, if, but if they keep the aircraft carriers here... Is, is it just... And, and use them, and if they... You, can you see American planes coming in to help fight Hezbollah? No, I can, I, I, I can I, potentially I, 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 see I, I, them coming I, I, in to take out Iran. I can see a lot of American planes flying back and forth and making it possible for the Israelis to refuel. Like it's, you know, at the very extreme, you know, it could be like land lease. The very, very extreme, they could allow the Israelis to train, you know, on the, on the planes to take off, off aircraft carriers. And that would make it very possible to take out. Iran because, you know, you wouldn't have to fly across Iraq and so forth and so on. But that would be, that would be a dream. That would be a very extreme thing. I don't think you'll see American troops on the ground until you see a massacre like this of Americans. There were at least 14 Americans that were killed. Right, but it was, Again, they were incidental, collateral damage. They were not intended targets. It wasn't right. They just happened to be Americans who had American citizenship. But I, I just, you know, since you brought up Vietnam, I just want to say something because I've been thinking about this a lot. This is not a political thought. This is just a personal thought. You know, I grew up in the 60s and my most vivid childhood memories were of going to Washington with my father and demonstrating against the Vietnam War. And I held up posters of the My Lai massacre in front of sure. polling booths and. Tenet uh, Cowley. Yes, that's right. And, I, you know, I was a. The, you know, the trial it was televised. It was a national television. Yeah, I don't trial. remember that part, but yeah. I remember whatever that that's like my, you know, honestly, the most formative memories I have of my childhood. And the fact that I could become a person who is anxiously anticipating a war is horrifying to me. I, I, I feel in many ways what I, I become a person that I barely recognize. You know, my son-in-law is in my house now with a gun. I hate guns. Howard wanted to get a gun way, way back. And I said, you know what? You can live in a house with a gun or you can live in a house with me. You can't have both. <laughs> I, I will not have a gun in my, in my home. And now I'm so grateful that he has a gun. A guy came to shul in our house on, on Shabbat with a, you know, submachine gun, whatever they call those, you know, whatever they give the, those M16. M16. And I was like, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to give him a hug. Yes. This has turned me into somebody that I barely recognize. And on top of everything else that Hamas has done, I find that personally, well, it's a loss. It's a, right. it's a loss. Like I, I want to, I would have wanted to raise my children to be pacifists, to be peace loving, to be, you know, citizens of the world and, and, and open to everyone. This is something that was posted on Facebook. I'm not going to say the person's name, but he talks about the terrible funerals uh, that he had to attend. Uh, there's an entrepreneur called Ayel Waldman. And they provide networking products with a company called Melanox. And Ayal's 24-year-old daughter, Danielle, and her longtime boyfriend, Noam, were at the peace party this past weekend. So their families decided that Noam and Danielle should be buried side by side. Uh, and the funeral was held this afternoon, and this was a couple of days ago, in northern Israel overlooking where they both grew up. And then the father 
of the girl spoke. And he spoke about how wonderful they were, how in love they were. Um, and that he said he always believed in peace with the Palestinians. He opened design centers, I guess, Melanox and Ramla, Nabulus, which of course we know as Shem, uh, and yes, even in Gaza. And then over the open graves of two people he loved, he committed that once the Hamas regime is eradicated, which means destroyed, which means killed, which means getting them, he'll go back down to Gaza and help rebuild the Gazan economy so that no one else will have to suffer the loss that he and his family were facing. So I sort of, you know, when you talk, Debbie, about being a peace person and then realizing, not out of vengeance, but how important it is to use force in this way and how it's justified and, and, and so important. And as you said, you know, I, I guess that, that aligns with what your feelings are as well. It's interesting that Yael feels that he wants to help rebuild Gaza. So I, I don't know Ayal. I've never met him, but uh, what a Jew. I mean, only a Jew could think like that at the moment of your deepest, deepest pain. You're standing over the grave of your daughter to have compassion and, and to be able to look toward the future and a future where things will be better and we can help each other recover. I, I mean, I, I don't, I, he and I probably wouldn't agree on very much politically, but I have the highest respect for his, his Yiddishkeit. I mean, it's only, only a Jew thinks like that. Well, you know, again, I, you know, even though we've been through this, I think we all agree that, you know, this is not about destroying Ishmael. It's not about destroying the Arabs. They are our cousins. You know, the, the, the conundrum of Israeli Arabs is, it's fascinating to me. Fascinating. You know, I'm at the, at the plaza and of course you, you know that. But almost the whole staff are, are Israeli Arabs. The whole staff, the people who say hello to me in the morning, who speak to me in the bridge, the people that I see and say hello, the ones who recognize me at the door, the ones who recognize me coming up shore going, they're all Israeli Arabs. You know, and one of them said to me today, he said, it's hard what we're doing now because they're feeding hundreds and hundreds of people. They're there, not just the usual big breakfast, they're there breakfast, lunch and supper. But he said, you know, Israeli Arabs said to me, these people, they don't have a place. They're hurting. And that to me gave me some hope. You know, yeah, and he didn't have to say anything to me. He could have just yeah, said, hey, right. do you, hey, do you want a bottle of seltzer? Like, right. right. But he said to me this. He said, yeah. And he fist pumped me. He's not going to keep his job because of that. Yeah. So, so I'm saying that, that gives me hope that there is a potential. And again, you know, Amen. we some Mashiach. We, that's what we expect. Yishmol gets, Yishmol, and Yitzchak go to bury Avram together. Ishmael and Yitzchak, you know, I mean, that's Avram's tefillah. That you, you know, here I am. I'm sorry, rabbi mode comes up. But that's what happens. That was, that was Avram's tefillah. He hears about Yitzchak and Avram says, yeah, what about Yishmael? Right? What about Yishmael? Is he coming? Yeah, he'll also be okay. And para Adam for a while, but he'll, he'll be okay. Right? And we hope to see this. Yaakov was right to watch out. Yaakov was right to watch out. Watch out for Asaph is one thing, but Yishmael is something else. You know? Watch out for him too. <laughs> yeah. All right, Howard. Thank you. Thanks, Howard and Debbie, for letting me in the house today and uh, and for letting us talk together. I'm glad you didn't get on the boat. Yeah. Okay. That would have been something. When they sent me the letter, they said we're not telling you where you're going. You just have to get on and you, you have to take it from there. But hopefully we'll be able to to get together again and Amen. and we'll speak to you. That's it, guys. Take care, everybody. See you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, 
please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, shalom. Shalom.